You know, I've learned this. Soda, pop, whatever you call it, does not quench your thirst. How many of you like coffee? Yeah, when you're dying of thirst, what do you want to do? Let's go get a coffee, right? No. Coffee does not quench your thirst. In fact, coffee makes you even more thirsty. Gatorade, right? Gatorade. It's the thirst quencher. I think that's their slogan. But there's quite a bit of sodium, I think, in Gatorade. I'm not saying it won't work, but that's another so-called thirst quencher. And we could, you could go down the line, and every one of these things have one thing in common. They are all liquids. But only one true liquid that we have, and we all know what it is, it's water. That's our thirst quencher. Physically speaking, that is what will quench our thirst. And in this world in which we live, there's also many things that will offer all of us a thirst-quenching spiritual experience. This will quench your thirst spiritually. This will meet the need that you have spiritually. Some of them look really good. Some of them look wonderful. They promise this and they promise that, and there are all kinds of things that the world offers. You can be involved in this promiscuous lifestyle, and uh, it will quench your thirst. But that will not quench anyone's thirst. You can live in sin over here, and you can be involved in this sin, and you can consume it upon yourself, and if you do, it'll quench your thirst. We know that there's no sinful lifestyle that will ever quench anyone's thirst. And yet the devil has all kinds of things that are available for you and for me to satisfy ourselves. I hope today that when we head to our homes, we get to our car or the bus or wherever that we're on our way home, that we will see anew and afresh that there is a thirst that only God and God alone and quench. Let's see if we can make ten more dollars, or a hundred more dollars, or a thousand more dollars. Our thirst will be quenched. No, it won't. Money can never quench anyone's thirst. How much is enough? Many people would say there is no such thing. No, may we find our may we find our quenching the quenching of our thirst like the psalmist found it in a very dry place. Most times we do not think about water when we are not thirsty. When we're not thirsty, we're not thinking about it. But as soon as we start to have that little bit of thirst and that little bit of, you know, a desire in us that, you know, I haven't had much water today. I better get something to drink. We find that we go wherever or we get whatever that we can. And again, sometimes we drink the wrong things and yet water is that sufficiency. Now, what happens if we don't drink enough water? Praise God, He has put in our bodies some physical indicators of not having enough water. One of those could be, again, I'm no doctor, but just a bit of reading, but uh, it could be that you would start to get a headache. If you're dehydrated and you haven't had enough water, you could get a headache. Another thing that you could begin to experience is muscle cramps. 
muscle cramps if you're dehydrated. Uh, let's see, several others. You, your energy level could be low. Uh, you could become uh, disoriented just from being dehydrated and not having enough water. You could begin to have a dry mouth. You could get to the place where you're not even sweating anymore. You might say, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? I would smell better. No, that's a bad thing. <laughs> if you're not sweating, that's a bad thing. Sweating is a good thing. And But yet we have indicators. Isn't it amazing how God made our bodies? To think that this body just came into existence out of nothing without a creator behind it is just ridiculous that anybody would come to that. Think about your eyeball alone and all that is involved in the eye. Oh, we have a wonderful God and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are his works. These indicators were given by God so that you and I would not die of dehydration. Some of you have come from areas of the world where there are actual deserts. And I guess maybe we have a desert in Canada. I don't know where the driest place in Canada is. I've never, I didn't look that up. Uh, but maybe you've been in an area, maybe the country that you're from, maybe you've visited a country that actually has a desert in it. Maybe you know a little bit more about the dryness of the desert. As we read and study this psalm today, I hope and pray that we will understand a little bit more of why God allows us to go to the desert. Just as the body has been programmed to let you know, hey, you're in, you're in danger, you need some water, you need it now. Cramping, headaches, disorientation, whatever it may be, uh, there's something there, there's a mechanism that's letting you know that. And I, my prayer today is that when we're done with this time, we would, we would recognize there's a purpose for the desert times. There's a purpose uh, for the dry season. Remember, we don't recognize how much we need water until we need water. That's not very deep, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Sometimes the shallow things are what I need to try to wrap my head around before I get into the deep end of theology, right? So the desert is good. Remember what happened to the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. The Lord Jesus is beginning his ministry. It's just getting off the, off the, uh, on the road, if you will. And one of the first things that happens to the Lord Jesus is he finds himself in a what? Desert. Who brought Jesus to the desert? Hello, are you awake with me today? Matthew chapter, anybody read Matthew 4? Who brought Jesus to the desert? The Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God led Jesus to go to the desert. That means there's times in your life and my life that the Spirit of God will lead us to the desert. Again, there's nothing fun about a desert. There's nothing wonderful about a desert unless it's got sand dunes and you've got a really cool vehicle that you can ride on them. Most of the times, a desert represents parched. It represents thirst. It represents death. It represents uh, weariness and tiresomeness and all of these words. And yet the, whole, the Son of God was led to go into the desert by the Spirit of God. And while he was in the desert, he was able to have victory. Why? Because of the Word of God. Three times the devil tempted our Lord and our Lord said three times in the desert, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. 
I submit to you this morning that you might be in a desert right now, but I want you to know something. There's a reason why you're in the desert. God has you in the desert for your good and for His glory. And God has you in the desert so that you know how much you thirst for God. See, you're not gonna, I'm not going to recognize my thirst for God when I'm not thirsty. You understand what I'm trying to say? I think that's what David is saying here. We're going to look at the context of this. The introduction is longer than the message, okay? So don't lose, don't lose heart. But the context of this is King David, and he's writing, and we're going to get more into that. But I, 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 have, a, uh, I have a suspicion that sometimes we get into the desert, and we say, man, i got to get out of this desert quickly. No, let's make sure we get everything out of the desert that God took us there for. Again, a desert is dry, barren. It's also a place where we recognize what real thirst is all about. Imagine walking through the Sahara Desert for any length of time. It's not going to take long. Your body's going to start saying, you better find water. Folks, we live in a dry land, and I'm not talking about desert. We live in a barren land. We live in a land that doesn't fear God. We live in a a land that would shake its fist at a holy God. We live in a land that would curse, just as soon curse God. Folks, we're walking through many times. We're walking through like Ezekiel chapter 37. The prophet Ezekiel was given a vision and he was walking through a great valley and that valley was full of what? It was full of dry bones. Dry bones. What does dry bones mean? Well, it means no life. It means no, it means no action. It means no activity. It means nothing's getting done. And the Bible said there that he walked through that valley of the dry bones. And and the Lord even said to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel said to the Lord, thou knowest. We're walking through a desert maybe right now. And maybe you're walking through a desert right now. And you say, I don't even see an oasis in my desert. I submit to you that God has put you in your desert today for, for, good, for your good. And God has put me in a desert maybe today or other times in my life so that I recognize how thirsty I really am. David was in just that spot right now. King David. All-powerful David. Almighty David. Could say whatever and it would be done because he was the king. when we experience a lack of what we really need, it makes us really, it makes us desire what we really need. What do you need as a Christian? I'll tell you what you need as a Christian. You need a close relationship with God. You need that more than a job. You need that more than your health. You need that more than friends. You need that, and and again, I, I love my family. I love my wife and my three uh, children, and my two, uh, my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, my grandson. I love all of them, but I don't need them more than I need God. I need a relationship with God, and I don't just need a check-it-off Sunday morning relationship with God. I need a relationship with God that is Sunday through Saturday and Sunday through Saturday, and it's every day a relationship with God, as we even see here in, the, in, the, in this psalm, and we'll look at it. That's what I need. As a Christian, that's what I greatly need. 
And by the way, God is not some distant God. God is your friend. God loves you. And God sent Jesus Christ to save this whole world. He's the only one that can satisfy. There are so many false thirst quenchers in this world. Don't fall to the the trap of the false thirst quencher. Oh, if I can just get this job or that job or have this. No, no, no. None of that is going to quench your thirst. No, as the psalmist said, uh, my soul thirsted for thee. You have a soul today that thirsts for God. Whether you realize it or not, it's in you. It thirsts for God. And by the way, God is saying, come, I've got all the water you need. God is saying, come, I can quench your thirst. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. When I I experience a lack of what I need, it makes me desire what I need. This, my friends, and this, uh, our guests and our attenders here today, this, if you're joining us online, this is the painful gift of barrenness. Think about this. This is the blessedness of barrenness. It's a blessing to be in the desert. It's a blessing to be in a time of drought. Because we must turn our attention to the one and only source. Of water of strength, of purpose. So I say today, let's be thankful. Desert. But don't let the enemy bring you to a place of discouragement in the desert because that's what he's trying to do. No, 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 all things work together for good. To them that love God. Romans 8, 28. To them who are the called according to his purpose. The blessedness of the barren place. What, are, what, are the, what is the blessedness? They teach us both to want and seek what we need most. We would call this, as I said earlier, a painful gift. Because it drives me like nothing else to the only fountain that will quench my soul thirst. You speak for a while, you have a thirst for water. You know what? Our soul is thirsty. And it can only be quenched by our relationship with God. Oh, let's be thankful that we can even have a relationship with God. Like Like the video said, who is the worst sinner? I submit to you today, all of us in here are sinners. All of us in here have violated God's word time and time and time again. And yet God says, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. I want to quench your thirsty soul. We have one opportunity to live life on this earth. Sooner we develop a thirst and hunger for the things of God, the far better our life will be. If you're 19 today, It's time to have a thirst for God. If you're 17 today, if you're 27, if you're 65, whatever your age is, now is the time. Let's notice a word in our text. Verse number one, oh God, thou art my God. Notice the word early. 
I've circled that word early in my Bible, and I've written a note out beside it, and the note I have written is this, first on the list. I don't believe this early only signifies a time, like early in the morning. It could. Let's hold our place there and go over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is all the introduction. Like I said, the introduction is longer than the message. Don't, put, don't, don't worry. I'll get you out of here at the regular time. What's the regular time, Brother Kevin? Do you remember? Okay, good. Yeah, you forgot. That's all right. <laughs> Look at Matthew 6. Thirst for God. I love, I love the fact that our God will quench our thirst if we will seek him. Look at Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, this is the greatest sermon ever preached. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I would encourage you to read those three chapters. Powerful. Right here in the middle of it, Jesus says, we need to seek something first. I think you could write a note there, and you could put Psalm 63, 1, and I believe that's one way we could apply this word early. Early will I seek thee. First will I seek thee. It could be, as we said, yes, it could be early in the day. It could be early in the week. Hey, why do we come to church on Sunday? Because the Lord Jesus arose on Sunday. We didn't just randomly choose this. No, we read in our New Testament that they assembled uh, after the resurrection, they assembled on the first day of the week. The first day of the week, okay? I know all calendars don't show it this way, but this is not the last day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. The week ends on Saturday, not Sunday. The week begins on Sunday. May we think like that. May we think like that. Why? So because, the, because he says, early will I seek thee. Start the week in the house of God. You've come today. Thank you for being here. You're joining us online. Thank you so much. It's not about who the pastor is. It's not about who the people are. It's about who he is. Early will I seek thee. Get to church on Sunday. Come back tonight if you can. Why? Because we have a great pastor? No. We have a great God. He's never failed you one time. He's never failed me one time. The psalmist said, I'm so thirsty. God, I've got to seek you early. So it could be the time. It could be the day. It could be the week. It could be life. No. What else do we think of? What else did I think of? I don't know. God challenged me. Maybe he'll challenge you the same way. But I also see a sense of urgency. When you say early, it means it's important now. Not later. Urgency. Early. That's right away. You know, you get out of bed in the morning, you take a couple of steps, guess what? God gave you that ability to do that. Man, take those steps and march yourself. Maybe you've got to go to the washroom. I'm not trying to be crude, but you've got to go to the washroom. But then as soon as you start getting the cobwebs out of your eyes, get over to that Bible. See God. Open that Bible up. Let that Bible become a part of you. Early will I seek thee. There is an eagerness to seek the Lord without delay. He must become the priority of our life. 
Would you let God's Spirit right now, if you're a Christian, you have God's Spirit in you. Would you let God's Spirit right now reveal to you if, he re- if God is the priority of your life or if God is on the list? No, 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 no. There's no list. It's God, and the list gets thrown away. And God will help you. Jesus said, the Bible says, He must have the preeminence. That means He is above all, before all. May the Holy Spirit of God show you and maybe show me there's some areas of our life where He isn't priority. Turn over quickly to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, please. We're getting there. We'll we'll be there in a minute. We're getting there. Isaiah 26. And please look at verse 9. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Hmm. Anybody ever woke up in the middle of the night, can't sleep? Yeah. We read that earlier, didn't we? Even in our, even in our text, it said, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Isaiah says here, with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit with my spirit within me. Notice these words of the great prophet Isaiah. Will I seek thee when? Early. You're 15. You're 14. You're 8. You're 21. I would still say you're very young. When I was 21, I got married when I was 21. That was crazy. How did my father-in-law let me do that? Anyway, I got married when I was 21. But I didn't know anything. I thought I did. You know, when you're 21, 20, 19, 18, you think you know everything. I'm 49 in two months, and I still don't know much. I'm still trying to learn how to be a godly husband and father and grandfather and all the rest of it. I'm thankful for the patience of God, aren't you? God is so patient with me. God is so patient with you. Be thankful for that. He's continuing to mold us and make us. But the, the, the prophet Isaiah said, I will seek thee early. Can I just encourage you with something? If you know how to read, I'm not trying, I'm, that's not talking down. I'm just saying, if you know how to read, you're seven, you're eight, you're nine, you're ten. I don't know. I can't remember how old it is when people learn how to read anymore. But when, if you know how to read, I want to encourage you every day to read something in the Bible. You say, I don't know how to read, Pastor Turner. Find somebody that knows how to read and tell them, take a Bible to them and say, can you read some of this? Early, early will I seek thee. May we establish that early in our life. Maybe early means when you got saved. You've been saved maybe just a short period of time. We need the word of God every day. We need it every hour. We need it every moment. Let's go back to Psalm 63. Let's talk about Psalm 63 for the rest of our time. When was Psalm 63 written? Well, it was written by King David. It was written around the time period of 2 Samuel, chapters 16, 17, and 18. 2 Samuel 16, 17, and 18. If you know anything about the time in this time in Jerusalem and David's life, His son, by the name of Absalom, 
has developed a, a lot of pride in his life. He's, he's gotten to the place where he wants to overthrow his dad. He has a group of followers that he is convinced, and he's a pretty slick guy, and he's, he's pretty... Uh, suave guy, if you will, and so he's convinced a group of followers, let's, let's overthrow the king. The king is not going to fight his son. And so David, the mighty David, the mighty king, he leaves the palace. He leaves Jerusalem. And where does he go? He goes to the Judean desert. He leads his men that are with him to the desert. Now, we have a couple of pictures of what the Judean desert may have looked like. It's what it looks like today, but we'll just maybe go through two or three of those, uh, Brother Tim, and uh, show them to us. Just stop right here. I'll tell you when to move on, please. So, I mean, you don't see, we see no trees. So when you look at that picture, you don't see much. There's some, I guess there's some bushes maybe way down in there. There's a little bit of green right here, but you probably can't see that from where you're at. So, you know, not a whole lot of life. Go to the next one there, Brother Tim, please. Hey, there's some life. What do we have here? Looks like we have some goats. What in the world are those goats eating? I've kind of wondered that ever since I looked at that picture, you know. How are, where, they're finding something to eat. But you look, at the, you look at the topography. Dirt, rocks, barren. There's another one. This is, these are all pictures from Google. Thank you, Google. I did not go over there and take pictures this week. Didn't have time. Uh, but of what the Judean desert may have looked like. Thank you. That's fine. So imagine leaving the kingdom, leaving the kingdom in Jerusalem, having everything you need and going out into a desert where there wasn't anything that you needed. Turn to 2 Samuel 17. 2 Samuel 17. We find that this group of travelers who are being pursued by Absalom and his followers cross the Jordan River and head to an area called Mahanaim. Mahanaim. 2 Samuel 17. This journey is difficult. This journey would make someone very tired, hungry, uh, destitute, I mean, you know, almost literally out of your mind type crazy. You know, you're walking through this desert. When Where are we going? Look what it says in 2 Samuel 17, verse 27. And it came to pass when David was come to Mahanaim that Shobi, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Maker, the son of Amiel, of Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, of Rogalim. Notice what they brought. Beds, basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched corn, beans, lentils, parched pulse, Honey, butter, and sheep. Cheese of kind. For David and for the people 
that were with him. Why? To eat. For they said, the people is hungry. The people is weary. The people is thirsty. Why? Because they have come from the wilderness. They've come from the wilderness. That is the the setting for when David took out his pen. Before they got to Mahanaim, where he takes out his pen under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, David begins writing Psalm 63. Who's David? Who's David? David, this is the same one who years prior was helping his father's sheep and he was watching over his father's sheep. And his father, Jesse, said to David, David, I want you to go and I want you to see your brothers. They're down at the battle and I want you to take this bread and this cheese. I want you to take this to them because... You know, I'm sure they're hungry and I'm sure they need some sustenance. And David makes the journey. He obeys his father and he makes the journey. And when he gets there, you remember what he saw. He saw on one side was the Philistines and on the other side was the the armies of Israel, which were his brothers. And everybody was in their tent. And in the middle of the valley there was a giant nine and a half foot guy by the name of Goliath. He's cursing the people of Israel by his gods. You can imagine the voice of a nine and a half foot fellow like that and how it must have boomed through the valley there. David hears what he's saying and he, he, he's, you know, he's a young guy, but he's already killed a lion and he's already killed a, a bear and he's already helped with his bare hands to protect the sheep. And, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of juices flowing through him, so to speak. And, and I mean, he, he wants something done and he wants it done now. And he goes to his brothers and he says, what is going on here? Who's going to kill that guy? He says, is there not a cause? That's the David that's writing this psalm. That's the David that went down to the brook and he took out five smooth stones and he used one of them and he hit Goliath right here in the head and the giant came tumbling down, as the song tells us. And David was able to go over there and take Goliath's own sword and chop off his head. Take that old ugly head over to King Saul and give it to him. You talk about a mountaintop moment. That was, that was David. What a victory! The Bible tells us that they sang of David, uh, they sang of Saul, that he, he has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. That's a mountaintop experience, isn't it? That's not a desert experience. That's a mountaintop. David, who was out in the fields and he was, again, watching over his father's sheep, and meanwhile, Samuel had come to the house. And Samuel says to Jesse, uh, I've come to anoint the king, the next king of Israel. I need you to get all your sons in here. And all the sons of Jesse come in. Well, at least they think it's all the sons of Jesse. And they bring them all in there. And, and Samuel looks at them and, man, they got some muscles on some of those guys. Some of them are pretty tall. But every one of them, God said to Samuel, no. No, you're looking on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. Samuel says to Jesse, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Something's not right here. He goes, well, you know, I kind of, I do, but, you know, he's out there playing around with the sheep. Bring him in. You know the story. 
Here comes David smelling like he's been playing with the sheep. He's ruddy, youth. He comes in and the Lord says to Samuel, anoint him. I wonder if David, when he's penning the words of Psalm 63, I wonder if David is thinking back as he's writing these words, he's thinking back of Goliath's head coming off. I wonder if he's thinking back to the oil coming down from the, from the uh, cruise of oil coming down from Samuel and, and God anointing him right there to be the next king. I wonder if he's thinking about all those glorious times and now he's sitting around and he's just got a bunch of dirt and dust around him. A little different scene now. Back at daddy's house. When Samuel was anointing him to be the next king. He picks that pen up and God tells him what to write. Notice what he says. He started off, oh God, thou art my God. Notice that word my. Oh, I hope you'll grab onto that today. If you're a Christian, you can say that. God, you are my God. By the way, it's not just that he's your God and no one exclusively, but he's your God personally. Can you imagine how big that statement is? Not because I said it. He's not your God exclusively, but he's your God personally. Do you know how many Christians there are right now on the face of this earth? I have no idea. Millions. But he's their God too. He's everyone's God. It doesn't matter what language, if you're a Christian, you speak. He's your God personally. David is in the middle of the desert. David is running from his own son. Uh, David has, uh, he's still the king, uh, but he's, he's thirsty, he's tired, he's weary, he's, he's rattled. And he says, oh God, you are my God. I'm in the midst of the desert of my life. Oh God, you are my God. And this morning you've come to church or this morning you've joined us online and you can say with David, yes, I feel like I'm in the desert right now. I don't know why I'm in the desert right now, but it's in the desert when I realize just how thirsty I am and that my thirst is for God. May God give us a greater thirst for God. A greater thirst than for our own family. And I'm not saying family's not important. Believe me, if you have a thirst for God, you will have a thirst for your family. If you have a thirst for God, you will have a thirst for the local church, the body of believers. If you have a thirst for God, you will be saying so because the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you have a thirst for God, all of these things will happen, but it all starts with a thirst for God. And I see David writing, and I see David dusty and tired and weary. He says, oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Why do I thirst for God? Verse number two, to see thy power. Folks, the power of God is just as much available in today as it was in David's day. The power of God is just as much available to defeat any Goliath in your life as it did in David's life. The power of God is available to us today. But it's not that we play God and we're going to have the power of God. No, we've got to have a thirst for God to see the power of God. I submit to you, I need a greater thirst. I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this to us. What more could happen to us? What more could we go through than we've gone through in the last two years to to bring us to a thirst for God? What more could happen? Honestly, 
For me, nothing. If I don't have a thirst for God now, man, that's a problem. What's it going to take? That thirst for God. To see the power of God. Not only that, but notice what he says. And to see the glory of God. Folks, I'm not interested in seeing the glory of Anchor Baptist Church. I'm not interested in seeing the glory of me or Pastor Nathan or Brother Kevin or anybody. I'm interested in seeing the glory of God. And how does that happen when I have a thirst for God? How does that happen when I'm at the feet of God? How does that happen when I'm in the desert? God, take me to the desert. If it's taking that, God, take me to the desert so that I have a thirst for you. So be it. Here's the good news, because he won't leave you in the desert alone. He said, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You long to see the power of God? Look, we can play games. We can have a good time. I'm for all of that. I love to joke around. I love to kid around. I love to laugh. Okay, I, I do. Sometimes probably too much. We hunger and thirst for God. The power of God, the glory of God. Notice verse 3. Why do I have a thirst for God? Number 3, because thy loving kindness. Think about this. Why do we have a thirst for God? Because thy loving kindness is better than what? Life. I mean, think about this. There's nothing greater than than being alive, being a Christian, and knowing the loving kindness of God. It's, it's greater than, than whatever amount of money you think would be good to have. No, the loving kindness of God is greater than that. And because of the loving kindness of God, what does David say? He said, my lips shall praise thee. You know what helped you and helped me in the middle of the desert? To take these lips and open them up and say, I praise you today, God, for the desert that I'm in. I praise you today, God, for the rocks that are around me right now. I feel like I'm between a rock and a hard place. We read that in the Word of God. I feel like, I feel like the, the wolves are howling around me at night. I feel like that uh, uh, there's no one here, and yet God is with you, and God is faithful. God, I'm going to praise you right now in the desert. God, I'm going to use these lips not to question you. I'm going to use these lips to give praise and glory to you. Even in the middle of the desert, Takes a little, a little bit further, and he says, not just my lips shall praise you, but notice verse 4. By the way, it's okay to say praise God sometime in the middle of the preaching. I'm not saying it for me. I'm saying it for what the Bible says. You can say praise God. It's okay. I'm not looking for that. I'm just saying. But then notice what he says. I will lift up my hands. You see that one in verse 4? He said, thou, thus will I bless thee while I live. Notice, he said, I will lift up my hands in thy name. There's nothing wrong with lifting up your hands in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God speaks to your heart, you're in the desert. You know what lifting up our hands is? Number one, it's an area of surrender. We talked about that last week, right? You know, put your hands up. <laughs> I'm not trying to be uh, unkind, but you know, police officer, put your hands up. What are you doing? You're surrendering. I will lift up my hands. I think it's surrender. Secondly, I think it's also worship and praise. I will lift up my hands. Why? Because I, I, what, what else am I going to do? My lips are going to praise Him. I raise my hands in praise and honor and glory to the Lord. It's not about me. It's all about Him. 
Notice now he talks about the inward part of this. Verse 5 tells us the inward part. Those are outward expressions. But what about the inward part? Here's the inward part. My soul. My soul. Who can see our soul? Nobody. Only the Lord. But notice what he says. My soul shall be satisfied. This is in the desert. This is in the thirsty place. This is in the barren place. And the psalmist says, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Marrow is on the inside of the bone. Thankfully, we can't see any of our marrow right now. If we could, we'd be in a lot of pain. So this is an internal thing. I submit to you, you will not raise your hand in praise and you will not give the lips of praise to the Lord if it's not on the inside. It's not a surface thing. Because when you're going through the dry and desert land, you know what? Surface praise is going away really quick. Because nobody likes to go through the trying times. No one. I'd be the first one to write my name down. I don't like it, but you know what? I need it. Because it helps me realize how thirsty I really am. But the morrow, the fatness is on the outside. My mouth shall praise thee with what kind of lips? Joyful lips. Thirst for God. Let me give you this in closing. What are the characteristics of someone who has a thirst for God? Number one, this is, this is the message now. Characteristics of someone who has a thirst for God. Number one, when God is the greatest desire of my heart. When God is the greatest desire of my heart. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. You desire something today besides God in your life? Number two, someone who's thirsty for God will have a greater interest in the Word of God. A greater interest in the Word of God. How do we know God? How do we know His ways? How do we know His works? How do we know His character? We find Him in the Word of God. When we're thirsty for God, we must get into the Word of God. A greater interest in the Word of God. Number three, someone who has a thirst for God has a greater desire to communicate with The Bible is God communicating to me. Prayer is me communicating to God. Picture that. Picture that. A sinner going to a holy God. And yet it's possible because of the sinless sacrifice that the Lord Jesus Christ made. He paid it all so we could talk to God. Without Jesus Christ, we have no access to God. You have no access to God. It's just going to hit the ceiling and come back down. Someone who has a thirst for God has a greater desire to communicate with God. Every relationship you have today is developed by communication. You didn't speak to your spouse for a year. One year. Your relationship with your spouse would not be the same as it was when the year started. It would be worse. Think of it. And yet, how much do we communicate to the Holy God? Our relationship, it's going to grow. Got to have good communication. Thirsty individual for God has a greater interest to communicate with God. Number four, someone who's thirsty for God has a great longing to understand the ways of God. The ways of God. The 
character of God, the thoughts of God, the desires that God has, setting aside my way and only wanting God's way. Fifthly, someone who has a thirst for God has a yearning for the will of God in their life. God, what is your will? That's what I want. Well, it means going through this desert. Fine. I want your will. It means, it means dying to self. Okay, I, I want to die to self. I want your will in my life. Someone who's thirsty for God, lastly, lastly, will have an increased faith in God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You want more faith? Thirst for God. He'll give you the faith. The psalmist says, I'm going to seek you early. I'm going to seek you with my whole, uh, I'm going to seek you uh, with my flesh. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. You need more faith? I do. How do we get it? Say, God, bring me to the desert. In the desert, I'll know I'm thirsty. I'll find that satisfaction in you. My faith will grow because then God will maybe take you back into the desert another time. This time your faith will have been strengthened. Why? Because ultimately, like the psalmist, I recognize that what the world has cannot quench my thirst. 